This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Taras Kobanek, thank you for joining me in the trenches again. Thank you for inviting me, pleasure to be here. We were just talking a moment ago, and I need to do this, but I keep getting emails from people saying that I'm very disrespectful when I drink alcohol, talking to my guests. Am I being disrespectful? Uh, only you, if you don't offer it to your guests, but <laughs> I guess I'm too, too far from that. That is the best response yet. Um, by the way, are you a, are you a whiskey drinker? Uh, not much. I uh, rarely drink something strong. Uh, I uh, I tried whiskey a few times, uh, and uh, uh, probably the easiest uh, strong drink for me was uh, Becherovka, Becherovka uh, from uh, uh, Czech Republic. Uh, it's something like thirty-eight, uh, and it is oh. uh, with some uh, flowers or, or whatever. So there is a taste. It's not just vodka. Oh, so it's okay. So it's a type of vodka. Uh, it's uh, almost as strong as vodka, but uh, it has a taste, and it's uh, uh, more um, viscous, probably. Uh, it's uh, uh, I mostly liked it for the taste, and uh, it doesn't feel like a lot of alcohol. But usually, I just drink uh, wine or something. Good man. Uh, Wine is good. I'm from South Africa. We have very good wine here. So I've heard. I don't know <laughs> that much about South Africa, but yeah, I've heard something about wine. Well, if you've had French wine, then you then you're getting there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I must tell you quickly. My wife and I were in France um, in, in 2019, just before all this COVID stuff, and uh, we we went. We traveled a bit. We went from the north down to the south, and. So one of the things that we always hear is about how amazing French wine and French champagne um, are. So we we bought a whole lot of it, and it wasn't nearly as good as everybody made it out to be. Um, and I bought I, I bought expensive champagne, and it was very normal. It wasn't. I don't understand. I, I'm wondering if if there's just too much marketing going on. Um, most probably there is some marketing there. <laughs> they have been around for a while. Uh, I don't know myself. I'm not uh, that much. I wouldn't call myself a wine taster, although one of my friends from France uh, was trying to introduce me and others to wine, and he even had a great idea of Tour de France, uh, the way they ride on bikes. He was yes. uh, bringing us uh, different wines from different regions and telling us about them, and then we were tasting them, at least for the first uh, 20 minutes or something, because uh, when we were getting to the end of the third bottle, it was no longer about <laughs> tasting wine. It was just about conversation. <laughs> that sounds about right i i approve <laughs> um isn't it funny though you can just imagine the woke the woke people right watching us two white guys talking about drinking wine in france <laughs> i'm i'm creating i'm creating a segue into <laughs> into your story <laughs> um well let's Let's get into it a little bit. Um, for those who don't know, um, yeah, what is your background? Uh, 
I am an engineer. I started as a network engineer back in the day, and I joined Google in 2016 as a software engineer. Uh, I spent four years working at Google, and uh, I got fired in 2020 for speaking up against um, racial politics uh, uh, that were pretty strong at that moment in the company. Uh, you say racial politics. Well, that's a euphemism because what if you look at your document, um, which is available online, the memo, it's not racial politics, it's anti-white politics. That's what it is. Yes, uh, although the company doesn't see it that way. And mm. uh, uh, it keeps promoting books like White Fragility that basically condemns white people and so on. But... Uh, uh, if you just come to someone and uh, start telling them that uh, there are some anti-white uh, uh, politics around, uh, people would be surprised. And I would be surprised if I were someone else. Uh, but unfortunately, at the company, it was uh, too much for me to uh, just be silent and content. Uh, so, okay, so tell me the story. What happened? Uh, 2020 uh, was obviously not a easy year because of COVID and then uh, the death of uh, George Floyd uh, in the US uh, uh, that resulted in uh, racial protests uh, in the uh, US and uh, obviously the topic of race uh, became a very important one and everyone uh, had to make a decision on which side uh, of this policy uh, of this topic you are do you support fight for uh, more equality for black people let's say uh, uh, for less poli uh, police violence as they call it uh, and so on or not and uh, it was um, dangerous for com for people and companies not to support this movement and so the company started supporting it uh, internally we started getting messages internally from first from the ceo then from senior vice presidents from vice presidents and so on it trickle was trickling down and everyone was telling us uh, that we had to educate ourselves about uh, racism and learn about Juneteenth, uh, which is uh, the event of uh, uh, freeing last slaves in the US uh, end of uh, the Civil War. Uh, and uh, uh, these books like White Fragility kept uh, advertised and so on. And then we were starting getting some talks by um, uh, Black, uh, employees are producing some slide, uh, uh, slides and uh, talking about racism and so on. And uh, the company uh, had uh, some classes uh, about racism uh, even before that. Uh, the company had uh, this sojourn uh, class that was partially based on the White Fragility book that was teaching people that uh, there are racial discriminations and so on, and that life is difficult for people of color. And, uh, but uh, at 2020, it went into overdrive. And uh, as time uh, went by, it became hard to ignore this stuff. And uh, it was too much. Uh, for me, it was difficult to ignore uh, for two reasons. First of all, the company kept telling us that racial discrimination was not allowed. And uh, at the same time was uh, 
sending us messages, literally telling us explicitly that uh, white people uh, should use uh, uh, provided resources to educate themselves and their children. Uh, and um, it was hard to see this level of hypocrisy for me. And second, how, how can you be in a relationship uh, with anyone, uh, with a relationship of any kind, friend relationship, uh, uh, work relationship, uh, with someone who is inconsistent and you don't know what to expect of that someone. And uh, that was the case with the company because uh, if you do not know what the company would do, uh, how can you plan your life, uh, your future with the company and so on. So um, it bothered me uh, and it wasn't the first topic uh, because uh, all these politics uh, had been in uh, pretty prominent at Google even before 2020, uh, uh, namely uh, sexual uh, uh, sexual uh, politics around uh, oppression of uh, women by men, uh, gender politics uh, that uh, straight people oppress uh, LGBTQ plus whatever members and so on and uh, the racial poli uh, set of politics uh, was just a part of that and uh, i knew people disagreeing with this but uh, people were generally reluctant to talk about this because everyone was afraid how it might go and whether you might lose your job and so on and at some point i got tired and i uh, decided to list my thoughts on this and to share them inside of the company. I wrote it and um, even before that, my uh, manager, for example, was asking me uh, what my concerns were. And uh, we had uh, such conversations inside of the team because others were uh, worried uh, as well uh, by these topics. And uh, my manager was kept telling me that he was going to collect some information and send them basically upstairs uh, uh, for people to make some decision. So I decided to make it easier for myself uh, to somewhat uh, organize my thoughts uh, by writing them down and also to help my manager to provide them, uh, to provide the manager with my thoughts in a written form so he wouldn't have to write them himself. And I wrote a, a document in which I listed my thoughts on a number of topics, a number of uh, things happening around. And I was trying to explain why these things were wrong and as soon as I shared it with uh, my team, my manager, and some other people inside the company, my manager started um, pressuring me into removing the document, uh, issuing apologies for non-specified people for even writing the document. And uh, I kept saying no, and it ended up with a meeting with uh, an HR where I was given an ultimatum uh, to delete the document in 30 minutes. And uh, I did ask two questions. First, if they uh, didn't want, if they did see the document as offensive in some way, then was it possible for me to make any changes they wanted to make it non-offensive while having the uh, document around to have some conversation? And they said, no, uh, you cannot uh, edit it. You have to delete it. And the second question of mine was, uh, what would be my other way to express my concerns and to do something about this? Uh, and they told me, oh, uh, 
when you delete the document, we might connect you to someone you might be able to talk to about uh, this topic and so on. And uh, as it appeared, they were ready to fire me, but they had no idea about uh, uh, this other possibility of uh, getting me in contact with someone. So uh, it didn't look sincere. So I uh, refused that demand and they fired me on spot and they deleted the internal version of the document in like a few hours as far as uh, i was uh, as far as i'm aware and later the company when i appeared on fox news the company provided uh, an official statement to fox news that uh, i definitely wasn't fired for writing this or any other document <laughs> uh, which was uh, at best, uh, an incorrect information. Uh, maybe mm. it was a result of uh, one hand of the company having no idea what the other was doing, mm. uh, or some miscommunication. But in my written warning uh, that I uh, uh, had received uh, uh, at the moment of getting fired, uh, the written warning was mostly about me writing the document and about the ultimatum uh, to for me to remove the document and they were uh, they then they were issuing a statement about it not being related to the document at all <laughs> it's just it's just unbelievable did they did they fire you on the spot on that day you couldn't you couldn't come yes. to work the next day they removed my accesses uh, in like half an hour. And that is totally understandable because uh, if you have an employee uh, who is a big trouble for your company, uh, you don't want to fire that employee and then allow that employee to come and maybe cause uh, more damages. Uh, so it's uh, cheaper for the company to just isolate you, to keep paying you during um, the notice period but uh not allowing you any access to internal stuff i totally understand that uh that didn't bother me that much uh, it was a reasonable action by the company uh, uh the uh the way it went before they fired me and how they acted later after firing me that what uh, uh disappointed me <laughs> disappointed you are being so careful with your words <laughs> i think what you're trying to say is that's what pissed you off <laughs> to a degree yes but tell me something um if they put out a statement it was you, you're talking about your show uh it was the tucker carlson show that you went on to yes you said google put out a statement saying that that wasn't the reason um why you were fired what was the reason then um Everyone can check that statement on the Fox News uh, website. And they basically said that, no, it wasn't about a document. Uh, it was about me being a terrible employee and a co-worker. Uh, they mentioned uh, several warnings issued to me. Uh, they mentioned me singling out someone. I still have no idea what they meant uh, by that. Uh, my best guess would be that uh, the internal version of my document contained a name of one employee uh, simply because the, the document talks about uh, a couple of articles in the daily insider uh, that's a daily newsletter inside of uh, the company and one of these uh, articles was about um, black uh, 
vice president who got caught in the shooting in YouTube offices. Uh, I don't remember, it was 2019 or something like that. And uh, the story was that uh, uh, she had experienced uh, a bad treatment by uh, the police uh, in the past. Uh, so when uh, she got stuck in, uh, at the office uh, during that shooting and uh, the police came to uh, sweep the office, uh, she was afraid to go out to meet the police. So when, uh, as far as I understand, when the police comes, you're supposed to reveal yourself and then to get out of the building or something like that. And she was afraid because, uh, um, according to the article, she was afraid that uh, the police would be racist. Uh, and uh, with uh, her being black, uh, it would mean them maybe shooting her on spot or something like that. And uh, I can totally understand the reluctance. I would have no idea how to reveal myself to uh, the police uh, looking for an active shooter in my building or whatever. Um, but uh, be, uh, be it uh, her view of the situation or the way the company uh, decided to present the situation to us, uh, it was the police, basically the police at uh, the offices were potentially racists, and so it was hard for a black woman to reveal herself. And uh, that article in the Daily Insider uh, had the name of this employee and a photo of this employee and was uh, telling a story of that employee. So it didn't matter much uh, if I mentioned that name internally, linking to that article in the Daily Insider. Uh, but when I released uh, my document, uh, out uh, provided an external version of the document much later. I removed the, uh, that name because it didn't matter who that happened to, and I didn't want uh, it to be personal in any way. Uh, maybe that's what they, they meant by me singling someone out. Uh, if not, I really have no idea what that was about. As for a numerous warnings, um, I had a numerous, work, uh, uh, numerous uh, meetings with HR and uh, my manager uh, in the past. And uh, all these uh, meetings were, I was asking them what they wanted me to do uh, during these meetings. And uh, they kept telling me, we are not uh, telling you not to do something. Uh, it's up to you. We're just providing you with feedback of, on how things are perceived, like uh, how your actions are perceived inside of the company. And then it's up to you how to uh, act. And I kept pushing like, okay, let, uh, let's imagine that I do the same stuff 10 times more. What uh, your response would be? Um, am I allowed to do that? Uh, and the answer would, uh, was very non-specific like, oh, that has to be uh, evaluated on case-by-case -case basis. It might uh, uh, be, uh, fall in the whole range from a conversation to the contract termination or whatever. So they were not specific at all. And uh, the only uh, time when I was told about uh, getting a warning was in the meeting before getting fired. Uh, it was about the written warning uh, they were going to, tell, uh, to give me. Um, so I'm not sure um, why they said uh, that I had like seven or 11 warnings or something, but I guess the company can represent stuff in that way. They can probably make it look like those were official warnings. What were some of those meetings you had with 
HR? I mean, if they weren't happy with your quote-unquote behavior, what were they talking about? Um, they, were telling, uh, they were talking about people reporting me to HRs and uh, people not being happy uh, with about my what? words. <laughs> um, my first uh, experience with uh, HR uh, uh, with that happened I believe it was um, something like spring 2018. And I uh, got into a conversation on uh, the internal board regarding the white fragility uh, book. Uh, and because there was the author of uh, uh, white fragility, uh, Robin D'Angelo got invited to give a speech on premises in one of uh, Google offices in the US. And uh, it was my first, um, it was the first time uh, I saw that book, uh, this mention of uh, the idea of white fragility, which is basically, um, if you are white, then you inherently racist. And if you are being told uh, about being racist and you are not comfortable uh, with that, and you try to resist, this is a sign of white fragility, uh, which basically says that uh, uh, if you, if I tell you that you are racist and you agree with me, then you are racist. And if you disagree with me, then you have white fragility and you are a racist. <laughs> uh, there is no uh, good way out of this book. Uh, and uh, I was so confused by uh, Google denying people like Jordan Peterson, for example, a chance to speak uh, on uh, the premises, but inviting Robin D'Angelo and others were surprised as well and uh, we kept discussing this uh, on the internal mailing list and um, there, uh, there was a number of things in that uh, discussion that got me reported uh, some people were reporting me for allegedly um, denying existence of racism because i uh, kept saying that no what you call racism doesn't look like racism to me and uh, it might be other things and let's look into this and so on um, because nowadays you can be called racist for um, liking some food or not liking some food uh, and uh, the bar is so low that uh, it just doesn't make sense uh, the other thing that got me reported was a mention of uh, lecture uh, of lectures by Jordan Peterson, not even his uh, speeches, uh, but lectures on uh, the maps of meaning, his uh, YouTube series mm. on uh, Bible and generally on mythology. It's fantastic. Uh, well, he uh, he uses it as a source of uh, huge inspiration, and he comes with all the yes. uh, ideas that are. Uh, to me, uh, they uh, look like they lie too far from the original material, but uh, it's, it is fascinating how he gets there from uh, that material and how he ties everything together. And at some point, one of uh, uh, one employee um, wrote something like, if only I knew why people act the way they do. And uh, it could have been sarc uh, a sarcastic remark, but I decided that oh maybe it's useful to look into psychology and whatever and i would say that uh, uh, i could have recommended uh, uh, some other lectures nowadays but uh, back then i only was familiar with this set of lectures by jordan peterson so i decided to recommend them and immediately someone got offended because oh my 
a sibling is a trans. Uh, sorry, I, I'm already not sure because there is apparently something that you uh, it is fine to use trans as a noun but not as uh adjective uh or the other way around so you can say that someone is is trans but you cannot say someone is a, whatever so there are some nuances that can get you into trouble whatever uh, and uh, someone got offended simply by me mentioning jordan peterson like oh my sibling is a trans and now you mentioned this terrible terrible person who is known for uh disrespecting uh trans people and uh, uh i got reported for basically for uh, advising someone uh, to check online lectures by jordan peterson because it was jordan peterson and uh it's unbelievable uh, yes uh it would be surprising to me had I been on the outside of the company, but uh, it's mm. uh, it is weird what kind of things can get you reported. And then I can totally understand that the company doesn't want to get into trouble uh, because of your actions. So they try to push responsibility onto employees all the time. That's why we get yearly mandatory trainings on how to behave and so on. So if anything, the company could tell us but you knew, you certified but, that you were aware. But you know what doesn't make sense to me is that I'm guessing the majority of management at Google is white. Um, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I don't remember. They have some stats on diversity and they uh, these stats are probably external because uh, the whole, uh, all the efforts on diversity uh, now are to be advertised as widely as possible. Um, I don't know uh, whether all of the man, uh, like uh, how many people in the management are white. Though at some point we had a moment when basically the top of uh, the top management was on the stage at once, and I believe it was something like three or four women, uh, uh, something like three or four uh, men from. Um, with some Indian or uh, Asian background uh, and uh, something like seven, probably more white men, uh, so around 20 people uh, total. And uh, so, yes, there are uh, probably a, a significant part of the management is white, but at least in my chain of command, the CEO is of the Indian origin, uh, our senior vice president is of an Indian origin. Our vice president was, I believe, of Chinese origin or something like that. Out of three vice presidents responsible for our uh, office in Switzerland, two were from Middle East, I believe. I get the impression that they would, that they would consider Martin Luther King as racist because he, he said, I have a dream that people will be judged based on the content of their character and not on the color of their skin. <laughs> yes, and we are not moving into that direction uh, anymore. Uh, and uh, people call for explicit, explicitly uh, call for uh, noticing color of the skin and pro uh, providing some safe places for black people specifically or uh, something like that. And you know what uh, else is weird, Taras, is that... Sorry, I think I interrupted you, but... No, no, no. Everything you know what else is weird? 
is that the whole concept of this white fragility uh, providing safe spaces for black people, etc. The whole concept is it's inherently racist because what it's suggesting is that white people are so superior and so powerful that they just happen to oppress by virtue of being white. They just, if there's a black person, oh, I'm just going to oppress that black person, you know. Black people don't have a chance around white people. That's what they're, that's what, that's what they're actually saying. Um, if we are to ask someone, uh, some of these activists, and they would be able to refine their thoughts, it would probably be something like, uh, there are, uh, there is a, some kind of institutional racism uh, right now uh, that prohibits uh, black people and other people of color from being successful and so on. And uh, the world we live in is built on slavery from the past. And uh, the life was so hard for black people and other color, people of other colors back in the day that um, they are at a disadvantage right now and they require some help to be on the same level as uh, white people. Um, and I can understand it to a degree, but uh, then they mix everything because there are black people that are way more successful than uh, yes. uh, other white people and so on. And uh, But they want to uh, look at everyone at once uh, as a race, as a, a sex, gender, yes. whatever. It's all the same. Uh, instead of, mm. instead of uh, trying to pay attention to individuals and uh, to difficulties because everyone has its own difficulties. And it would be nice to fix a lot of uh, this uh, stuff. And there are probably some solutions. But uh, if you start looking at, uh, if you start explaining all difficulties by some racial injustices and whatever, uh, you might be right to a degree, but uh, you are going to be missing so much stuff uh, that I don't think you would be able to come up to, uh, with a good solution. I don't understand this inherently racist thing either. I mean, okay, so Obama was at one stage the most powerful man in the world, right? He's, he's not white. And the, the majority of people, of Americans, voted for him. How does that happen if, if the country is so inherently racist? And, and for that matter, is Obama oppressed by white people? Uh, <laughs> I am not even sure how they explain that. Uh, uh, there is probably some explanation that it was a huge effort by uh, all people of freedom or whatever. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna they, they're gonna be doing gymnastics with their words oh they have been doing that for quite a while and they keep <laughs> doing that uh, looks like in all uh, uh general and my understanding is that uh, all this became worse during obama i'm yes. not sure if it was it, uh, it i did. heard uh, that it was connected to his speeches uh, and mm. i understand that it is beneficial for any politician to come up with some idea of um, an enemy uh, or maybe mm. an enemy is a too big word but uh, some adversary uh, that uh, you that your you unite your electoral base uh, in the presence of that adversary and my understanding is that uh, Obama was using this idea of racial injustice to some degree I am not uh, that much of an expert there but, uh, and I'm familiar with this approach because I'm from Ukraine and uh, 
even before the invasion, Russian invasion in 2014, for a long time, uh, our politicians uh, had been playing this game mm. uh, because uh, they were basically uh, pitting uh, Western Ukraine uh, versus Eastern Ukraine, uh, rural agricultural uh, mm. pro-European uh, versus uh, industrial, uh, more Russian-speaking, uh, uh, more pro-Soviet Union, which results in being basically pro-Russian nowadays. And uh, the politicians were getting benefits uh, from that. And it, uh, why it wasn't the reason for the invasion, it certainly did make the invasion easier and uh, provide Russia with justifications back then. Uh, because uh, after years of such politics, uh, People in Crimea, they were, I think they were uh, uh, honestly scared of uh, people from the Western Ukraine really coming to Crimea and starting ethnic cleansings or whatever. So they were uh, meeting Russian troops uh, with an open, open arms. And so they were glad to have Russians there. And uh, they were basically blocking Ukrainian army, not that you, uh, the Ukrainian army was very decisive at that moment because uh, the president uh, had uh, had escaped uh, the country, didn't have uh, a working government. Nobody was able to make a decision back then. Uh, it was kind of chaos. And, uh, and on top of that, you had uh, citizens uh, of Ukraine basically blocking Ukrainian troops in military bases uh, and uh, these troops had no idea what to do because if they try to get out of military bases they would be um, doing something bad to these uh, blockades by citizens and mm -hmm. uh, I am afraid that if we kept uh, keep playing such games uh, in the West uh, the uh, Ukraine is a small country and uh, many people don't even know where it is probably on the map but uh, if we keep playing uh, similar things like pitting people against each other on a larger scale, uh, that is going to weaken uh, the whole, whatever you call uh, Western civilization, uh, European civilization, uh, North American, and that would open it for all kinds of attacks. And uh, basically this Russian invasion is partially one of these attacks because Putin is probably sees west as weak and corrupt uh corrupt in the sense that uh, um, not just uh, that it can be bought with money though uh putin had has been doing that for quite a while and uh, but also in the sense of uh, losing the understanding of what is important and what is not and focusing on all these racial politics yes. and so on instead of focusing on actual problems to solve and that weakens uh uh, everyone and I, I'm not looking forward to uh, drastic world world changes that might come out of this. You make some very very good points, um, and what it shows is that the real class war is not between white and black, but it's between people like us and those in power. Probably, uh, but uh, this framing would uh, mean that there is uh, some set of elites uh, that control everything and so on, and it sounds like a conspiracy theory, so I'm not very fond of that approach, uh, and usually it's just 
a set of bad decisions by um, not members of some uh, elites, but uh, maybe nominally members, but not because they are members, but uh, because they are people pursuing their own interests. I don't think that Obama was uh, using this rhetoric, uh, anti-white rhetoric, uh, to make it easier for some elites. It was probably to uh, secure his own um, place and uh, organize his own voters or whatever. And when we keep, uh, when this keep uh, keeps happening, and when different people keep doing bad decisions and uh, basically sacrificing the uh, future of uh, everyone uh, in order to get some personal benefits, we keep getting deeper into this uh, unfortunate uh, uh, setup. Yeah, I mean, I've got your memo in front of me and uh, we spoke we spoke about it actually on my TNT show, so we don't have to go through it again. Um, and I'll add it, I'll add it, you know, under this video um, when we're when it's when it's online. But it is interesting when you think about slavery. You mentioned slavery. Now, in front of me, I've got I've got some data here. Right, listen to this. This is now the the global slavery index. Right, you can look it up. But it says here. Africa has just recorded the highest rate of modern-day enslavement in the world. I'll, I'll carry on. Armed conflict, state-sponsored forced labor and forced marriages were the main causes behind the estimated 9,2 million Africans who live in servitude without the choice to do so. And despite these practices being widespread, slavery has remained a largely invisible issue in part because it disproportionately affects the most marginalized members of society, such as minorities, women, and children. Anyway, the point is this. Imagine if you had to present that data to the same people, you know, at Google and everywhere else, because this, this woke mindset has permeated Western culture. I have a suspicion that they'll bat it off. They'll dismiss it. They'll make some excuse. But the point is, is that black people are enslaving black people. And you, you just heard there, that's the official number, 9,2 million. That's the known number. That's a lot of, that's a lot of slaves. Um, sure, uh, unfortunately. As for, uh, as for woke people reacting to such data, I assume that they would... Uh, start thinking how it could have been caused by actions by white people because that's uh, basically the narrative when you see something wrong uh, you are supposed to start thinking how did white uh, people contribute to this or males contribute to that or straight people contribute to that they are not looking for explanations they have explanations yeah. <laughs> and they are uh, just trying to fit those explanations into any narrative they see so i would imagine they would start uh, talking about something like oh this is a result of uh, colonization and whatever and uh, uh, had it not been uh, colonization then africa would have been a land of freedom and uh, prosperity and peace and whatever yeah i mean but again like I said earlier, that that is so in, that is so inherently racist. They don't see the irony in what they're saying because what they're suggesting 
is that the black leaders now in Africa who are enslaving others are just hypnotized or indoctrinated or something. They're not able to think for themselves because of the evil white man possibly before them. But but let's turn it around. Um, under Saretsa Kama, who was, in my opinion, one of the greatest African leaders ever, he took over Botswana, I think, in the 1960s. I forget which year it was. And he took that country into the fastest growing economy in the world in a space of 12 years. Are they now going to say it's because of white people? You attribute everything bad to white people, and then you attribute everything good to uh, people, uh, uh, to talent, so, so people of color. It's a catch-22. You can't win. <laughs> oh, man, it's so ridiculous, Taras. So what do we do? I mean, how do... <laughs> What what do we do? Do we just laugh it off? Do we do we talk to people about it? Do we give up? I I think you said in the previous conversation that in some instances you just you just don't even engage. I don't think that it is possible to convince some people. Uh, they uh, or at least I have no idea how to convince them. Uh, and um, in some conversations, it's not a matter of uh, logic because uh, people just start with totally different premises. Uh, if they uh, believe that uh, there is white oppression inherent inherently in the US, uh, then all actions like um, actions by the police are going to be viewed as results of this oppression. Uh, you cannot uh, argue with uh, such people and show them data. They would just tell you that maybe not in this case, but in other cases, there is an oppression and so on. And they have no idea how to uh, change the mind of someone. Uh, like it's probably similar to the conversation that the U.S. Uh, has been having for a while with pro life and pro-choice, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, is based on basically how you see a fetus. Do you see it as a person, or do you see it as some kind of grow inside the body? And then uh, based on that, you either uh, you are either fine with uh, abortion or uh, you think it's a, it's a bad thing. And uh, no matter of uh, attempts to convince someone, would persuade someone if uh, you have these two different uh, initial views of uh, this topic. And the similar is with uh, racism and so on. So I don't know how to uh, convince some people and uh, change their minds. Uh, I believe that there are a lot of people on the fence now uh, that cannot decide uh, and there are way more people that just don't care about the topic and um, uh, this topic might not reach them uh, but uh, if they are lucky but there are people that uh, are getting caught into this in the us and all over the world uh, because uh, all your life you have been uh, just honestly working and minding your own business and then you end up in a situation where you have to pledge allegiance to blm or to some other narrative and when you hesitate for a moment that's a sign of your uh, bigotry and then you out of job uh, and uh, you are in big trouble so my hope is that people start understanding uh, realizing that uh, it might end up badly for various reasons. Uh, it might end up badly because of uh, uh, kind of civil war in, uh, internally, uh, like colored people versus white, because if it keeps uh, going that direction, 
what is the outcome if you say that white people are so irredeemably corrupt that they are racist and they cannot change themselves and they oppress black people what is the solution then you have to get rid of white people at least you have to isolate white people from black i think people. that's i think that's the ultimate goal actually uh when they because when they talk about diversity they're not actually talking about diversity they're talking about fewer white people because when i talk about diversity i don't necessarily think about what people look like i think about the fact that you are an engineer somebody else might be a pilot there might be a strip dancer a pole dancer or whatever there might be a sportsman all of those people have different life experiences with different stories to tell that's pretty diverse no matter what they look like uh i partially agree but partially it is a, a kind of a trap because uh the left keeps telling us that uh there is power in diversity and uh, more success in diversity and if we push for diversity we're going to be more successful yeah. and then some people start uh asking them okay what about diversity of opinions why does it have to be just diversity of uh, your looks um shouldn't we try to get diversity of experiences and so on and to some extent it's uh playing along the same game with uh, that uh, it's going on you're trying to say uh, basically that yes diversity is good but maybe some uh, slightly different diversity but diversity is good and then you're falling into the same narrative yeah you're right you, you're absolutely right that's a it's a fake binary you yeah that's a good point um and for that matter diversity is not a strength in many respects let me give an example if i go on a tour to russia and i'm on a bus of 30 30 people from around the world and all 30 people speak different languages. There's no strength in that because nobody can communicate. The moment I hear somebody speaking English, there's a very good chance that I'm going to find my way to sitting near that person or next to that person because that's a common shared value. It's a common denominator. That's where the strength lies. The diversity of everybody talking different languages is a weakness. It can even be uh, simplified more uh let's say driving on roads if there is diversity and you have a choice to drive on the right one <laughs> and everyone does that it's going to be a mess <laughs> yes well played <laughs> that's very but true back to uh, uh the language uh mm. yes there is uh basically the culture uh, like each culture is a set of some kind of rules um uh that people follow and uh, if you think that you share a culture with someone you kind of understand how that person mm. is going to act and then it's easier to predict uh, those actions and easier for you to plan your future let's say it's safer less risky uh, and uh, that is why it's uh, easier to deal with someone of your culture because you uh, yeah. when you encounter someone uh, someone else you have no idea how that person might act and Great. in some case uh, uh, one of the examples was um if someone uh, decides to bow uh, when meeting you and you try to extend your hand that person might just uh, lose uh, an eye because uh, mm. uh, of your finger or whatever and uh, there are incompatibilities uh, that might not be that bad for you uh, but uh, something that has to be worked around uh, but generally, you just don't know how that other person is different. And that's a source yes. of uh, many fears when um, 
different cultures encounter each other then people just afraid of what might happen mm. and as they keep dealing with other cultures and they start understanding those other cultures and uh, cultures start affecting each other and some somewhat are going to uh, becoming more and more similar and people start uh, understanding what to expect of someone else even if that someone else is quite different uh, then uh, I believe that fear goes away and a lot of uh, what people call racism uh, is not uh, an organized hatred of other people is just a fear of unknown and that fear goes away if you just let people see for themselves and to communicate with each other and you cannot uh, expect it to go away if you keep uh, pressuring people uh, calling them racist and shaming them because then people go into the uh, on to a defensive state and instead of just developing they start uh, defending themselves from you that's a very good point um, and you're right uh, uh, multiculturalism generally is not um, synonymous with harmony uh, you, you'll you'll absolutely find more conflict because not because people dislike one another they just simply don't understand how others operate I I come from a Christian upbringing I don't come from a Muslim upbringing so my my general my general cultural behavior is is different it's really that simple it's not about hatred it's just not understanding and also sometimes you don't want to um be part of the other culture this is why you'll find christians will marry christians for example by and large or an atheist will marry an atheist quite often you know if you if you have a christian marrying a muslim it, it obviously can work, but I think it also can break apart, and that's simply because of the the differences and the the lack of understanding of how the other operates. And I think there have been some um, studies into how uh, modern-day segregation, not forced segregation, but uh, mm -hmm. just cultural segregation works in the U.S., that people try to move to those that are more similar to them and as such you get uh, these uh, communities uh, around uh, race or some uh, or religion or some idea and so on so nobody nobody forces people to do that but it is more comfortable for people to live with, with those that are more alike and you end up with some basically boundaries uh, with distinct communities yeah what's that saying um borders make the best neighbors um i don't know where, where it's coming from but uh it might be interpreted in different ways but generally um even borders inside of a family uh basically uh, you have to have your own space uh and uh, people are different and uh, you don't you want to have some rules even with people that uh, you like and you live with all uh, your life simply because it simplifies interactions uh, and uh, because when there are no rules no limits uh, people end up being unhappy because someone ends up intruding into your space and uh, doing something that you really don't like and so on and uh, a similar stuff works on a bigger scale i believe that's why the us has states that every state just has its own set of rules and you can just select uh, where to live based on these rules that you like and whatever and it 
has been working for them for a while, but uh, I just really hope it won't end up working because of all this uh, nonsense right now. Yeah, I mean, hope. But I think the, I think reality is a bit different, isn't it? I, I live in South Africa, right? Listen to this. We've got 11 official languages, 11, right? Which means that there are at least 11, 11 different, perhaps, cultures it's cult and slash ethnicities, right? That's very, very difficult to get harmonious. And it's Probably. very... Yeah, and it's extremely easy. It's extremely easy if you force all of it into into each other's space. You're going to get conflict. Uh, I wonder how uh, it compares to India. I, I might be totally wrong, but my understanding is that they have so many different languages mm. uh, there, uh, so like sub-ethnicities or whatever, that uh, many people from India, from different regions, when they talk to each other, they talk uh, they speak english because mm. otherwise uh, they wouldn't be able to understand i might be wrong but, but that's i think so what i've heard sure no i think you're correct um but i think there are other aspects there for example india is very big geographically um and also the uh, the 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 variations between the cultural differences i think are smaller because most indians look similar if that makes sense mm -hmm as opposed to um, a Dutch-looking or Dutch-German-looking South African versus perhaps a Zimbabwean, a black native Zimbabwean-looking African. Um, the, 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 the distance between the culture, I think, possibly is greater. I don't know. That's just speculation. Uh, here we're getting into... Uh, mm. a difficult topics because as soon as we say that yes. all all these Indians look alike to us, uh, it's a sign. Huge <laughs> <laughs> racism. <laughs> and listen, they probably listen. I'm not the one who said that. I'm not the one. What's his name? The 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 Canadian, um, the the Indian Canadian comedian, uh, Russell Peters. He said that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and by the way, he is very funny. Um, I should check him. I'm not familiar with him. You should. He's on YouTube. He's, he's one of those comedians that is still actually uh, not censored. <laughs> okay. Uh, Russell, Russell mm -hmm. Peters. No, he's very, very funny. Um, he, 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 he rips into Indians and Chinese. <laughs> not Canadians. Uh, not really, actually. <laughs> Listen to us. Um, as we come in for a landing year, um, if you were to if you were to give me your prognosis all right let me let, let me rephrase it let me ask it to you in the way i ask my other guests in front of you there's a crystal ball what do you see um i'm uh i really don't like uh, the direction we are going and uh, it partially reminds me of the Soviet Union with all the nonsense there and uh, um, uh, bad outcomes. It was on the different, uh, it, it was about class. It wasn't about race or gender or whatever, but uh, outcomes were still uh, awful. And I don't want to, uh, this uh, 
to develop further in that direction. I really would like us to focus on more important things because uh, there are so many cool projects that can be done. Uh, Elon Musk is uh, uh, has focused uh, uh, the humankind uh, on uh, space again. Uh, there are all these possibilities nowadays to provide a better education to people because uh, you have internet and you have computers and you can record things and show so you don't have to have a wonderful professor in every university you can just multiply things uh, the science uh, goes forward uh, immensely and there are uh, things to uncover and uh, things to use to improve lives of everyone immensely and instead of we just waste so much effort uh, talking about uh, these things about white fragility and so on uh, it's definitely not the future I'm looking forward to, and I would really hope um, to somehow affect it, to uh, not let it slide that much in that direction. I, I don't think that I am able to prevent it by myself, but there are so many people around that uh, are also not happy uh, with what is going on. And I hope that despite us not being organized like elites organized uh, uh, i hope it might uh, prevent this disaster and we might get back on track and uh, on our way our way to something wonderful if i were to find you online then how would i do it probably either linkedin or uh, my email taras.kobernik at protonmail.com. I don't have a big presence in social media, but these two things that work for me. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Taras Kobernik, thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Nice conversation. Don't go anywhere. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.